Welcome back to the second half of the conversation about mittens. Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Tamara. Thank you for listening to Geminit. Today's question is why we like mittens. What I like about mittens is I don't really gift them because they get lost so much, but I like that they wear out. I also like that they are decorative and I don't wear my decorative ones out to wear them out. And uh, when I say decorative, so I'll wear out the ones with a cable pattern or a lace pattern on it. But when I get to the point of knitting them in a stranded knitting technique or a fair isle technique, those I keep for nice and just for show. But mittens are another thing where you can start them. They go fast and a great way to try new stuff in small amounts of space so that they're over quickly and you can move on and they're pretty and they're functional. I'm always freezing and some wool around my pulse points and my wrist just warm me right up. So fingerless mitts while I'm typing are a lifesaver. I really like that they're functional and I like that I do give them. In fact, I'll make... Like if I get on a mitten tear, which I'm actually on right now, I'll make, you know, eight, nine, ten pairs of mittens. And then, you know, I'll wear some of them. I'll put them in our basket by the front door that people can grab as they're walking out the door. And then I'll put some in a gift basket for the next time that I need a gift for somebody because I love them. They're functional. They're warm. They're pretty. I always pick bright colors. I almost never do cabled work or color work on them because color work has never really been my thing, but cables are my thing. And even for mittens, I just don't because we do wear them and wear them out. And so I think it might be sad to wear out something, you know, that took a lot more effort. If I'm on a mitten tear, I can finish a pair in a day easy, Uh except for the thumbs because I hate the thumbs. (laughs) (laughs) And doing a plain pattern They're excellent for hand spun because I think it's super cute and not just hand spun, but hand spun of carded bats, the art bats, where the yarn is crazy varicated and nothing matches because having two mismatching mittens that obviously go together is super cute and they're easy and fast. Yeah, it's actually a thing. Like kids these days on purpose wear socks that don't match. Uh So you're right up with the times if you have mismatched mittens, I think. I actually almost always do the same super simple mitten recipe for almost every adult mitten that I knit. And that's a combination of trying it on, um, my notes from when we tried it on when I was first starting to make them, and following Ann Bud's mitten section of the Knitter's Handy Book of Patterns. Mm-hmm. And what I almost always do is adult mittens in worsted weight, and I cast on 32 stitches. And then I just do a two by two knit two purl two rib for at least three inches. Like I can try it on my own hand, even if the mitten's not for me and see how far does that cuff go down? Does Uh it feel like it's going to be long enough? Um, What's the person do that I'm thinking of giving them to? So I might go longer than that, especially if I've got a lot of yarn. I I knit a lot of mine out of Lamb's Pride worsted and there's 190 yards in a ball of that. That's enough to make a pair of adult size mittens. And I think a pair of baby mittens. That's my intent. You know, the baby ones I showed you earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to cast on a pair for the baby's mom. So I think they can have matching bright red mittens this time when I gift them. 
Anyway, so I do the 32 stitches and I go up in the rib for about three inches and then I start the normal side gusset that you were talking about earlier. That's what she uses in the Handy Book of Patterns. Mm -hmm. You start with one stitch and you increase on either side of the stitch and I put markers on either side of that so that I know what I'm doing. And then you go up a few rounds and then you do it again. And then instead of three stitches, you have five. And I do that all the way up until I have 13 on the thumb. And then I pull the thumb off and I go up the hand another usually two inches some maybe more depend because my gussets are usually big since i make random i make mittens for random people like i'll just say hey here's a pair of mittens i uh -huh. want them to be able to fit a really wide range of range of people and so i make the thumb gussets really big because i talked earlier if they're too tight that's the one thing that i think is uncomfortable in a mitten uh -huh. so i'll make them extra big and then i'll go up another two three four inches i might try them on my hand and just try to imagine right, this is for a man, it needs to go further, or this is for my friend that's six inches shorter than me, I'm probably done here, you uh -huh. know? And then um, I do basic decreases at the top, and then I Kitchener the top stitches, like I decrease down to 16, which is half-ish of what I started with, and then I Kitchener the top stitches together, and then there's a mitten. And that's what I almost always use. And I'm never, ever going to write that pattern down because making things for hands isn't really something that I feel like I'm great at writing a pattern for, but I, you know, really enjoy making them. So I just almost always follow that same pattern. There's so many good people out there that write mitten patterns that I think it's great to go use theirs. So anytime I feel like I want a fancy mitten pattern, I'll go find another designer and I'll treat it like... Even if I don't ever knit that pattern, I'll treat it like buying them a virtual cup of coffee. Uh -huh. And, you know, that's a great pattern. I want to show my appreciation and I'll put it in my folder and someday I might knit it and someday I might not. And it sounds like you don't even follow any pattern at all. You just can knit mittens the way I can just knit socks. Yep. Because I will look at my sock and think about the person I'm knitting it for and make it bigger or smaller just by looking at it. Because I've knit so many socks that that works yeah. at this point. And and this following the same pattern, it surprisingly works for so many different people. Like you'll put them in a gift basket and you'll just say, pick something from the gift basket and you'll find, you know, lots of different people try on mittens. Knitting is stretchy mm -hmm. and hands are all close-ish to the same sizes and adults, you know. I'd say what I do is like an adult small to medium. If you've got an adult large or extra large person that you're knitting for, you'd need to rethink the number of stitches that you cast on and how far you do things and how big your gusset gets. But really for an adult small or medium and teens, um, this works fine. I haven't knit enough mittens that I can just wing it. I follow a pattern and most of the time when I'm choosing a pattern, I am choosing something that appeals to me and stretches me as a knitter. And what I brought today was Elizabeth Zimmerman's Norwegian Mittens yeah, from, the, yeah, from the book Knitting Around by Elizabeth Zimmerman. I don't think I've ever worn these. I think I need to frame them in a shadow box. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you did see me pull them out of a Ziploc bag with some white yarn and some corresponding. It's almost the same color, but it's not the same yarn because I have made up a few kits for myself so that I can make matching hats and mitts 
so that I can have sets that correspond together because I got tired of just randomly pulling things out and looking like I had stuff from a rag bag when each thing was something to show off my work but nothing went together and I was walking around with sometimes like a lot of output of energy and money and looking like a mess instead of like an outfit. I'm not sure I'm ever going to have the pull together polish look. That's just not my vibe, but I want to up my game a tiny bit. So I've made all of these packages that I can go through and pull them out. So this is in one of those. I have the thought of making a hat where it also is the white and that, I don't even know what color you would call that. It's made by mixing teal and purple together as a heather. I would have called it a dusty teal. That's what okay. I was thinking. Like, you know how, you know, dusty rose was a thing like, yes. years and years ago. This reminds me of a dusty teal and it's beautiful. I really like it. Seriously should frame it in a shadow box. They were not easy. They were not hard. They needed my concentration for each and every stitch. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Not that any single stitch was difficult, but there's no TV watching, no board games with these mittens. I can listen to a book on tape, but that's as hardcore as that gets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to mulligans. Do you have anything this week? I actually do. I mentioned that that top-down tunic that I started out of the Colerain yarn that I'm really happy with. Originally, that pattern was going to be out of Lamb's Pride Worsted because I love that yarn yes. and I love it as a layering uh, piece. And this is going to be like a short sleeve tunic-y layering and it, I just really liked the combination. So here's my mulligan. I started knitting it out of this plum smoke and I so love pretty. the color. It's beautiful, right? But I may have mentioned that I'm a sucker for a good deal. Uh huh. So most of the time I get my lamb's pride worsted through mill ends. Yes, me too. Which means, usually means that it's a random batch of color that doesn't exactly match other colors. And I'm fine with that. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Or that it just wasn't the color that they were looking for. Or, you know, it's just something little that doesn't matter. And I've made a lot of designs and stuff out of it, out of mill ends. But this particular mill end... You can see by looking at it, I was going to bring the ball, but I think it didn't make it. You can see that it's thick and thin. And it's oh. not just thick and thin a little bit, which, you know, you might expect in a yarn. But it was almost every wrap around the ball thick and thin. Yeah. Um, so I can't do it for a design. It's slubby. It is. And, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe this is just a thick spot. And I would cut it out and I would start again. Uh-huh. And then it would do it again. And so I would think, okay, so maybe this ball just has problems. And I would switch to another ball. Because when I buy it from Millions, I'll buy five or six balls together. Because right. that's enough to make long sleeve sweater, tunic length for, in my size. I mm -hmm. mean, it really goes a long ways. And the next ball was like that too. It will make beautiful mittens. In fact, yes. I'm going to pull it off of this and turn it into mittens soon because I love this color um, and I want to be able to wear them this winter, but I couldn't use it. So that's my mulligan. I pay three or four dollars a ball for it through millions, mm -hmm. where retail price is closer to 12 or just under 12, depending on where you get it from. And they've got so many great colors and I love this yarn that at some point I'm going to go purchase this color in this yarn yes. for a design. 
in as a mill end, I mean, I could totally still use that as a sweater. I could. The, the thick and thin is very attractive. I just I see how you can't use it for a design, though, for because you're never going to get that yarn again. It's a one-off situation. It is, and I can't photograph it well. Like, I'm, uh -huh. I'm, like it would show up as a design feature. Right. And yeah, it would be hard for people to reproduce, and that might make somebody sad seeing, you know, the picture one way and what they end up with a different way. Exactly. So, yeah, I love this yarn. I, I even love it with the thick and thin. I just can't use it for this design. Yes. My mulligan is uh, what I'm working on right now. This, uh, this Right now I'm working on Folded by Vera in that red mm -hmm. yarn I was telling you about. Velamaki, yeah. Velamaki. Yeah. Let me tell you the story of this red yarn. I already mentioned that I had gone to three separate yarn stores. Well, there was nothing that appealed to me for the original project of a scarf, a solid red scarf, but I was looking at red all week long. Mm -hmm. So I had red on my brain and this was being pulled out of the UPS box uh -huh. and it didn't even make it onto the wall. I was like, this is mine. Uh-huh. Tell me again what it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's hand dyed. Uh the company is Machete. Uh-huh. And it's their sock yarn. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's like a variegated, it's got reds and pinks and other colors in it. That's not at all what I was expecting from your description and probably not what you were looking for, but I really like it. Yes. And the mulligan on it is even more so. So I love the yarn. It was the exact red I had been looking for, but because it's variegated and speckled, it wasn't going to work for the shawl, but I fell down from the yarn fumes and I bought three balls, which would be enough for a lightweight sweater. It might be short sleeved, mm -hmm. but I I truly think it's going to be long sleeved up. Maybe, I'll maybe be disappointed. That oh. part doesn't matter. Right. But I went searching for a pattern. And now that we're actually to the mulligans, I knew my needle size, I knew my gauge, and I picked out a pattern. I bought Etude by Rikiko, which is a top down where the circle neck is in lace. Mm -hmm. And it's a very pretty, a very nice pattern. But I was knitting this yarn in that pattern, and it was not a good match. It wasn't the gauge, but this yarn is like string and very limp. Mm -hmm. See how this fabric is very, very fluid? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, that is fine for some lace patterns, but since the lace on the yoke on the sample photograph, she used a hardier lace with more more spring to it. The lace was textured and dimensional. Mm -hmm. Mine, even though it's tiny little holes, this part across my chest was completely see-through. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want the sweater as a layering piece. I wanted to wear nothing more than a camisole underneath it. Yeah. And it just wasn't matching my version of what I was imagining. So that's disappointing because if I knit the sweater, I'm going to need something like Malabrigo sock mm -hmm. or something with some sprung to it. Mm -hmm. But I went looking for the patterns I already owned. I don't know why I own Folded. I have no memory of buying it. I don't know if it was gifted to me as a birthday present or I bought it and then never cast on. 
but I already owned it. And uh, the folded pattern is flowing at the bottom and then it gathers at the bust line mm -hmm. into pleats. They're not pleats, they're gathers. I thought this fabric would be perfect for that because I don't want gathers out of a bouncy yarn. I want a flowing yarn. So it's working out great now, but the disappointment that I couldn't knit the sweater that I had bought the yarn for, it was definitely present. Yeah. But that's it for mulligans. Okay, so are we moving on to... Inspiration and fantasies. Yes, what do you have? Okay, one of mine isn't a project at all. It's mitten school. Uh-huh. The Harveyville project in... Well, there's the word project, but it's not like a knitting project. All right, it's in Harveyville, Kansas, and they took two old school buildings that weren't being used for school anymore, and they built it into a venue for small wor workshops, which is super cool. They do say on the website, you know, these are old institutional buildings. If you want a fancy hotel, this is probably not your thing. But if you like a place with lots of works, you know, more like a pension or a hostel, this is this uh -huh. might be for you, which sounds right up my alley. So they have Mitten School as one of their workshops. They have a lot of other ones, but it's over a long weekend and it's every other year in November. And so registration for the next one starts in July of 2020. And um, I'm fantasizing about going. I'm not sure I can actually swing it mm -hmm. this time, but I'm definitely paying attention. And they do do color work mittens there, which would be a good way to stretch myself because color yes. work is not something I've ever done or really been all that interested in in anything except for mittens. It's beautiful in mittens. Everything else I like a more solid or cabled texture. Uh -huh. That's that's one of the things. And then I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to make that gloss DK in the beautiful teal color into. So I'm trying to decide how I can get something very swingy out of a top-down tunic design. Uh huh. And then I really, really want to go get a sweater's worth of lamb's pride worsted in a maybe this exact color after my mulligan. And my last thing that I've been dreaming about is re-knitting my sherry pullover. I mentioned it before. It's really good for a mid-level hiking sweater, but I brought it to show you. It's been uh, more than 300 winter hiking miles with uh -huh. me. It's been down to the Phantom Ranch in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back out again. And when I wear it, I always wear it with my day pack. And where my day pack rubs against it has started to felt, which makes it a very warm sweater for hiking. And I'm going to continue wearing it. But I can't wear it as a sample design anymore. Like it's past that stage. It is so felted. There is a spot on the back where there's no stitch definition anymore. It's just a solid massive felt. It's still very attractive. Yeah, I love the sweater. I love the design. But like this is way past being a sample garment and, oh, yeah. and into a functional winter hiking sweater. I, I need to knit a new one and I haven't decided what yarn I'm going to make that out of. It could even be a lamb, lamb's pride worsted, but I probably don't need two sweaters of the same yarn on my needles at the same time. So I'm still thinking that through. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love this sweater too. I have, I have three of them. Do you really? I really do. Okay, so what are you dreaming about? Sure, so I have patterns that I'm featuring. So the first one is the entomology mitts. Oh, those are beautiful. From the book uh, Tradition of Knitting Together, which is out of print, but is at my local library. Mm -hmm. And they are uh, color work mittens. And we haven't mentioned before that color work, if you can get out and wear them, that's double thick because of the two colors. So the stranded um, 
stranded behind adds a second layer. So right. they're super warm. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. If I would stop choosing patterns that I want to display on my wall, <laughs> I would have very warm fingers. But these, they have bugs on them. I think they look like scarab beetles. I do too, yeah. And the only reason I haven't knit them is I have yet to just stumble across, not looking, because I don't need to be out there looking for yarn. I'll look for something and come home with three times as much as I was planning on buying, but I haven't just organically stumbled across a green that has the iridescence that I want. So it would be like, um, and this would be a sock yarn. So it would be, the iridescence wouldn't be like glitter in the yarn, it would be a dyeing. So it'd be green with little drops of purple and mm -hmm. maybe uh, turquoise blue. And I just, that sounds like a like a small dyer. Like you're gonna yes. find it at a at a yarn show at some point. Exactly. Or, yeah. That's been on my mind for years now. I just just keep dreaming about it. The next one up is a newer pattern, and it's a paranth, which is a type of flower by Barbara Gregory. It's again stranded mittens, and it's like flowers that are just dropped on the ground. Oh, those are beautiful too. Yeah, yeah. these are non-symmetrical and they're gorgeous and they're a super thin fingering. So the palette by Nick Picks would be appropriate. They'd be very economical. Right, because it's just two colors. Just two colors. Do you think one ball of each color would do it or oh, would yeah. you need like way I'd more have than that? so much left over. Huh. Um, that palette yarn, I've yet to run out of a ball. So they last forever. Huh. Check the pattern and check the amount of yarn you need but uh, because each ball is only 50 grams however my gut says that it, the 100 grams of it 50 in each color and you would have enough leftovers to make a third mitten so this one is more into something i'd actually make it's called Demorphous Mittens by marion felton and the pattern comes with a pair of gloves and then a mitten casing to go over it for double layers that way. Huh. And the reason I like it is the single little button and the keyhole feature so you can see the glove peeking out mm -hmm. through the mittens. The only decoration is the button. It's actually something I'd be more likely to make. However, I worry about with four pieces, the losing factor. Mm -hmm. Got to not lose the gloves. Two gloves. You got to not lose the mittens. Two mittens. Four things. I'm not sure I'm organized enough to handle that. Although I wonder if you took off the mittens and were just wearing the gloves for half a second, if the mittens could dangle from the button. Yeah, I wonder too. Yeah, but that's that's something that makes me ponder. And it's made out of sock yarn. And the called for sock yarn is trekking. It's one of those never wears out mm -hmm. commercial sock yarns. And yeah. I have leftovers. Iron. Yes. Iron strong. Yeah. The next one is mitts. They're Wishmaker mitts. And they're another thing to go on the shadow box. They're little dandelion poofs where the uh, seeds are blowing in the wind. And if I made these, I'd be more likely to actually use them because the fingerless knits, I could wear them in the office typing at work uh -huh. without, the, they never wear out, they'd last the rest of my life. Again, super skinny yarn, it would be pallet again, and this would take all of my concentration. Yeah, it's really pretty. And then my last one, 
this is the one I'd actually, the others I dream about, this one I would actually make. They're fingerless mitts with a button accent. They're called Clary Mitts by Sarah Greshbatch. They're just very simple with a twisted, maybe a cable ribbed at the cuff, and then the buttons have a tab that pulls the cuff down as a gather. So, oh, yeah, I was wondering if it was just there as a decoration. And that means that this is something that would knit up in a day, and it has a comes with a matching cowl as a separate pattern. And I, I'm going for that matching right now. So yeah, this, um, and it's a much thicker yarn too. It's a DK weight, I thought. Yes. The yarn called for is the Plucky Knitters Primo DK. So maybe that's a thick DK or a thin worsted. Five stitches uh, to one inch. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this would knit up in an afternoon per per hand. So this would be a small, quick project and one I would actually do. All the others are showstoppers, and I'll just keep dreaming about them. Except for except for those bugs. I might knit those someday. Yeah, those are pretty. And that is the end of my list. Okay. So now are we doing a review? Yes. All right. Do you want to start or do you want me to? Why don't you go ahead and get started because what we're reviewing today is Lamps Pride and you have actually visited there. I have. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I We were driving home from a road trip. I think we'd gone to Yellowstone that year. And I put it on our map um, and said, okay, we're going to stop here. And I, I had four boys with me, two young ones, two teenagers, because my brothers went with us on that trip plus a husband. So five men in the car with me. And I said, you know what? I have done caves, which I hate. And looking at cars on their ends, which I don't care about. And mammoth digs, which were interesting, but not on my list. So we're going to go to this yarn store. You guys can just sit in the car and wave and smile as I walk inside and wave and smile when I come back outside and do whatever you want while I'm in there, uh-huh. you know? And so we stopped. So normally they would have a factory floor open and you can go out and kind of see them in the process of milling their yarns. It was closed the time we stopped because like, yeah. But I did get to see lots and lots of pretty yarns. Uh-huh. It was hard to find. It says it's in Mitchell, Nebraska, but it's not in anything, right? It's out in the country. So the talk about, you know, smile and wave while I go inside happened while we were trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was really pretty. You know, I really like brown sheep yarns. They've been family owned for over 100 years. It was a farm. And then when the farm markets got hired, like in the 1980s, they switched over to a mill because they wanted the family to be able to stay on this land that they loved, but they couldn't make it just as a sheep farmer and a normal farmer any longer. So then they started making yarns and building that into a business. And then the younger generation took over. And sometime around 2010, they switched over to a new process to reuse like up to 90% of their wastewater. So they're pretty green and they're working hard to conserve the resources. They try to ethically source their wool, even if it's not wool that I don't know if they grow all of theirs or not, but I imagine they couldn't because they are a They're in every yarn shop. Yeah, they're everywhere. Uh Even like we were in Alaska one year and that was one of the choices there. I'm like, huh, I live right very close to these people. That's pretty cool. And, you know, they have their standbys, uh, the Lamb's Pride Worsted, and then they have that in a bulky also. And they have some yarns that they've had for forever. Um, And then they've got a new one, Prairie Spun DK, that I was going to talk a little bit too. Because over the years, I've used a lot of Lamb's Pride. And so I wrote down the statistics. Um, I've done two balaclavas, at least seven sweaters. Three of them are my own published design. And one of them was my first ever sweater that I made. 
three vests, a layering tee, at least four hats, and more pairs of mittens than I can count. I think at least 30, but probably more than that. I imagine it has to be a lot more than 30 at this point. Yeah. You know, and there's 190 yards of in a ball of it. Um, I've knit enough with it that I now know that like, five balls of it will make a vest or a tee or something with uh, shorter sleeves in my size at a tunic length. Uh, I normally knit sweaters somewhere between the 42 and 44 inch mark, sometimes as much as 45 uh, chest circumference. Usually that's a size large in my patterns. I don't know what it is for other people's patterns, but five balls will make a tee or a vest out of it. Seven or eight is enough for a really long, long sleeve sweater for me. One ball is enough for most hats, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get two pairs of mittens out of this one ball. One pair of adult and one pair of baby, but I've never done that before because I haven't made baby mittens for years and years, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I love their worsted, but since I've developed the mohair sensitivity, I can't wear it anymore. However, Brown Sheep has me covered with a newish yarn called Lanaloft and it's a worsted weight single 100% wool and I find it to be a perfect match to as a replacement and I love it and what I'm holding right now is a beautiful slate gray it is seconds I love that brown shape allows that their seconds to be resold because I was able to get 10 balls of it I'm going to knit my dad a sweater and I don't know how many balls I'm going to need probably seven but at the price point of the seconds, I can easily get 10 and not worry if he hand washes it or dry cleans it or even accidentally puts it in the washing machine and ruins it forever. And, you know, now that you say that, that is a choice that they must make at a company level. Like they decide some companies no, don't allow their seconds out as millions. Um, that's how I get it, too. And they must have decided instead of wasting this yarn, we're going to let it out into the world as is and just say this is a second and I really appreciate that that's a lot less wasteful it's a different way of con being conserving resources and yes that of taking the hit of selling it even though it's not a perfect product it's good enough um, it's a discount and it's staying out of the landfills so yeah. it's a great way to reduce that's a great po point I've never really thought through that and then do we want to talk about the Prairie Spun DK? Let's do it. We both have uh, swatches in front of us. Right. So I just ran into this a uh, year, year and a half ago in the stores, maybe not even that long. I don't have a local yarn store anymore, so I have to travel at least an hour away from where I live to get to a local yarn store. So I just happened on it, and I really like it. It's a DK weight. There's a lot in a skein. It's like 256 yards. I just looked at my notes. 256 yards in a skein. That goes pretty far in a DK weight yarn. It really does. I knit, I've only knit one project out of it. It's a cow, and I have so much leftovers. Uh -huh. And I really like, um, it's a three-ply, and the plies are tight, so I think that really helps with cables, and I love to design with cables. I have a couple of swatches that I brought here, just small swatches of cable designs. One of them is a uh, design that hasn't been done yet, mm -hmm. and another one is a sweater that I think will already have been released by the time this podcast goes live. I like the way that you can see the definition of the cables. It does a great job. And what's the name of your upcoming sweater? It's the winter birch pullover because the cables at the top, it's a top-down cable pullover, and the cables at the top look like the twisting limbs of winter birch after leaf drop in winter. And I see a swatch there of those cables, and they are gorgeous. Thank you. 
Now I see on yours, your stitches are tighter than mine. I was worried uh, when I was knitting it about pilling, but I don't think yours is going to pill at all. So I have mine at, I would say definitely a worsted gauge. Yeah, that is five stitches to an inch there, maybe a smidge more. And is yours less than that? You're definitely yeah, tighter. I am. I, I shoot for the DK gauge on the ball band. So the five and a half stitches per inch. Okay. And I like, it feels like a pretty durable fabric at that. Yeah, I agree. I feel that. And it feels like a good rugged sweater while mine is a cowl and it has beautiful drape. But the whole time I was knitting it, I was like, I think this is going to pill. So that's something about the um, paying attention to what is recommended and also knowing that the looser gauge, while maybe giving a better drape, isn't as durable. Well, and yours, even though it's not like it's stiff or anything, no. that's still a beautiful fabric and perfect. Yeah, and it does still drape pretty pretty well because if you if you pull on a strand of it, I have that's what I was doing on this little sample because my knitting needles somehow didn't make the trip. But if you pull the length of it, I mean, it really stretches. So it does give nice drape mm -hmm. at either gauge, I think. I think that's a really... Yeah, I, that has a ton of snapback. So that makes it wonderful for cables and stitch definition. Yeah. And the sweater, so I made it out of, you know, it's a DK weight. So it's not a big bulky sweater. But, you know, some sweaters are so bulky that you put them on and you feel like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. You know, uh -huh. you can't quite walk right. <laughs> this isn't that at all. It's got, it's a DK weight, so it's a lighter weight. And it's got the nice drape to it. So it does pull down. I like my sweaters tunic length anyway. Um, and if I knit them to tunic length and then they pull a little bit further than that, I don't mind that at all. I, uh -huh. I enjoy that length. So I really like them. Do we have anything else to say about this yarn? I don't think so. Moving on to at the table. Do you want to go first? Yeah. This time of year is hot cocoa weather and marshmallows. And I enjoy making my own marshmallows. But this year's been too busy. I haven't had a chance to do that. And I'm out of good hot cocoa, so I haven't been doing that either. What I have been doing is taking regular store-bought marshmallows, putting them on a plate, turning the oven on to broil, and putting the plate on the lowest uh, shelf in there, and then toasting up marshmallows. So I have some campfire roasted marshmallows in the middle of winter. Now, the, the key is, though, you can't look away for a second. Right? I was thinking this could definitely turn into a mulligan. Like, I can see flaming marshmallows in your oven. In, in <laughs> fact, the because I'm watching for brownness, I will even have the oven door crack sometimes as I'm peering at it. So I'm, like, punched over the oven with it cracked open, just watching it brown to make sure it's just right. And I get the nice toasty kitchen that way too. So it's really like I'm bringing a campfire indoors or a fireplace, which I don't have. Yeah, that's nice. On my table, I've been making enchilada sauce out of the More With Less cookbook. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. I really like that cookbook for using basic ingredients to make nice stuff. At the end of the summer, we had too many tomatoes. We were growing tomatoes and we were also getting them in the farm to table box. And that's a lot of tomatoes. I gave up and just started freezing them whole. So now I have bags and bags of frozen tomatoes in the freezer and I need that space. So I've been pulling them out a bag at a time and making red enchilada sauce out of them. And from the freezer, if you run a tomato under warm, hot water, the skin will kind of just peel right off. And then if you leave them on the counter long enough to you know, chop up your other ingredients, onions, whatever you're putting in there, 
then you can either chop or blend them and they turn into a nice enchilada sauce. So I've been making that to try to get back freezer space. And then we made mafitiga, which is a West African peanut sauce. I love that sauce. Yeah, I, I do too. The boys, uh, one boy eats it and doesn't seem to mind and one boy doesn't like it at all. The husband and I really like it. It's a natural peanut butter, so with no sugar or honey or anything in it. It can have salt or not. You can add your own chicken, tomatoes, okra, green onions, and some spices, and I love it. You eat it over rice. The husband's on a big health kick. He's been eating it over quinoa, but yuck. (laughs) Now, when I make it, I don't call it a sauce. I call it a stew, and sometimes I don't eat it over anything at all, and I just have a bowl of it, but usually I have it over rice. Yeah, no, I really like it with rice. And then I've also been making my aunt's famous turkey veggie veggie burgers. And um, those are just one pound of ground turkey. And then you put in more veggies than you do that pound of ground turkey. So it's a great way to get boys to eat veggies. And they like them. And it's like chopped celery and green onions and spinach and sweet peppers. And then you add your other condiments. Like uh, I put Dijon mustard in it and Worcestershire sauce. I have no idea if I said that right. (laughs) Her original recipe was paleo. By the time I put the mustard and the sauce in, I'm not sure if it still is, but it's still healthy. I mean, it's more veggies than meat and they love them. I think I've had them when you've made them. They are so good. Yeah, it's a great recipe. Let's do a podcast announcements. You should join our Ravelry group called Geminate Podcasts where we have the ongoing 20 hats in 2020. If you finish a hat and put it up on Ravelry, make sure and tag it with the GP 20 hats in 2020. Also follow us on Instagram at Geminit Podcast. You can hashtag Geminit Podcast. And for the hats, the hashtag is GP 20 hats 2020. Or if you just want to tag anything that you're doing 20 and 2020, then that is GP20 in 2020. Okay, good. On the horizon? On the horizon. Why don't you go first for that? Okay. I'm looking forward to the Knitting in the Heartland conference that's coming up. It's April um, of 2020, April 17th through the 19th. And it's it'll be the second time I've gone. And I'm really looking forward to it. The first time I went was the first time I'd been in a big hotel room like that with all of the yarn. And I found out that yarn fumes are actually a thing. And I came home with way more yarn than I intended to. But I love what I came home with. And I met some really great indie dyers. And so I'm, I'm glad I went. And I'm not unhappy with my purchases. But I was shocked. I didn't know that yarn fumes were actually a thing. <laughs> they are. I <laughs> succumb all the time. And to the point that I plan ahead uh, for months to make sure I have a significant budget. So I'm to the point that I just go over it by a little bit. But I did that not by paring back my spending because yarn fumes are real. Right. So, but for Knitting in the Heartland this year, they've got some, actually three people I recognize, big names. They've got the Yarn Harlot, Stephanie Pearl McPhee teaching a class, several classes actually. And Ann Weaver is teaching some classes and Patty Lyons is teaching some classes. And so I'm excited to go to see the vendors and, you know, sit with other knitters and learn some stuff I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. And at the same time, on April 14th through the 18th is Ply Away, and I'm going to it for the first time. I actually hit the vendor floor last year and bought what I thought was a year's worth of spinning projects, except for I've done 
maybe a fourth of it. I overshot on a year's worth, definitely. This year, I'm actually taking classes, and I'm taking a class with Judith McKenzie, and that's going to be the highlight of my life, I think. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, let's do a little bit of local information. I live in the Kansas City metro area. Kansas City is the largest city in the state of Missouri and the 38th most populous city in the United States. The Kansas City metropolitan area straddles the Kansas-Missouri state line. Because of that, the Missouri side of Kansas City is called KC or KC Mo, while the Kansas side is abbreviated as KCK. The Kansas side is the third largest city in the state of Kansas, showing that most of it is on the Missouri side. Okay, that's everything. Happy knitting. Thank you for listening.